a voluptuous size Joe Scazzari treat. Snap good, spot down, Walsh's kick is up! I'm deeply, deeply cultured. lifting specialist around. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! Oh, you said something nice about And it is no good! He missed it! Are you kidding me? Over the last five and a half, six years has been incredible as I gear up to leave the country in literally two weeks today to pursue um, a, a, a life-changing experience over in the United Kingdom uh, to go to law school. I know it's a, it's a big, big jump, but we are back for another episode today. It's August 20th. Producer Jake, the MVP of our podcast, thank you to all who have been writing into our mailbag. You've done a wonderful job following uh, the process, although it's simple. Sometimes people uh, like to do things their own way, but I thank you for taking our direction on that. Just remember on our website, sixmansports.com, on the homepage, you'll see the subject heading, writing your email, and then in the body of the question or request, you're going to write your name and your question and where you're from. Uh, in our lovely country of Canada, or wherever you listen, because uh, I know there are some listeners in Australia and in England and in the United States, and we appreciate you so very much for listening to us. Uh, on that note, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe to our podcast all on Apple and Spotify, uh, Anchor, and wherever you get your podcasts. We um, we have had incredible support from from SoundCloud as well throughout the process of constructing our RSS feed. And uh, if you listen to our original theme song to what it is now, both uh, Brett Lehman, who I haven't shouted out in how many years, and I'm definitely overdue to, to have a beer with him, helped us produce that. And producer Jake has helped us produce all of our uh, beats and break music that we've done. And of course, former co-host Khalil Graham, uh, we use his beat, for our break music, and it's wonderful. He's actually pursuing uh, a career in music and sound engineering. I think you should support support our boy on Instagram, Isaiah OTF, and of course his beats page, Isaiah OTB on the beat. Um, we follow him and love his music. He actually released a song with Saint Clair, C L L A I R, for proper spelling on spotify officially on spotify our man has a song on spotify um produced by khalil and uh rodney written by kasu jabi and the artist saint Clair. wonderful singing voice 
um, from 166-8349 Records. Give that a listen, please, and thank you. Put it in your library, download it, all that wonderful stuff. Now, on to the show. Brought to you by the Bull Barbecue Pit on St. Clair. The Bull on St. Clair is the famous Redonkadonk sandwich as seen on You Gotta Eat Here. Uh, funny enough, I record that show religiously because, as most of us, during COVID, what are you doing if you're not going to the bar, drinking, or working? You're watching cooking shows on the Food Network. And our boy Omar is on the Food Network. Give them a follow, the Bull Barbecue Pit, uh, on all social media platforms, especially their Instagram page. You'll see their lovely uh, new sangria recipes. And my God, that sandwich, they just keep showcasing it because it truly is that good. Uh, and our co-host for today, this is a big show. It's the baseball show. Oh, oh it's baby. Toby Kerr. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Looking forward to this baseball hot in the streets. It's pretty much all I'm thinking about on a day-to-day basis right now. So uh, stoked to be able to really sink my teeth into it with you. Yeah, I'm stoked as well. There's actually some big announcements in the coming days, but um, I'm not ready to release those yet. But it is football related. So that's not for today's show, but we will definitely touch on it uh, very soon. But right now I'm with you. I All I'm thinking about is baseball. That That's all I think about in the summer. Those those who truly know me um, know that baseball is is closest to home during the summer for me and extremely close to home in general. So on that yeah. note, on that note, let's get the ball rolling with producer Jake. So trade deadline happened. My God, so many things happened, but I just want to touch on the trade deadline because I think in the history of major league baseball, has there been a more active and ridiculous deadline um, in the last decade that you remember? Or or was this the one? This, this has to be it. Um, This has to be it. I, I certainly don't remember a deadline like this. I mean, for some of our multi-sport fans, this feels more like, you know, some of the insane NHL trade deadlines from about 10 years ago. Uh, but baseball is usually the sport, I mean, I guess football even more so, where you just, you don't expect huge moves at the deadline, you know, pick up a back-end starter here, pick up some infield depth there. It's usually those kind of moves. But the, the kinds of players that we saw traded on this deadline, and I don't know if you have a direction you want to start, but to me... I mean, the fact somebody like Trey Turner would move just blew my mind. And I think that the the names were unprecedented that we saw move. And then also, very quietly, maybe this is too inside baseball, but some there's only a handful of teams who are completely out of it. And some of the teams who are completely out of it just didn't do anything also. Like, there were some weird non-moves. Like, why is Trevor Story still a Colorado Rocky? You know, like, there's some... It was a weird deadline. Well, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one that blows my mind. Well, the Rockies did nothing. Absolutely. That's the one that absolutely floors me. It absolutely floors me. You have a a unrestricted free agent. We'll get into it. I I will direct this in a second. But that's the one that floors me the most. And that's the one I wanted to lead with. But um, he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season and has verbally indicated he has zero desire to remain a Colorado Rocky. And that is is the one that blows me away because this is, if not a top 10 shortstop, which he easily is, in my mind, is on the Mount Rushmore of shortstops in this league today. And and you, you don't think you could have gotten that King's ransom that 
anyone has received of that caliber over the years at or or before the trade deadline just blows me away. Yeah, I mean, the Rockies are one of those organizations I do not give the benefit of the doubt to. With almost anyone else, I'd say, oh, they must not have gotten, you know, a, t- a top three prospect offer or, or something. Like, there are reasons, you know, if you think about the Toronto Raptors and Kyle Lowry not trading him at the deadline, like, I don't blame Masai Ujiri for not trading Kyle Lowry at the deadline because it sounds like there was nothing reasonable offered. But in basketball, you can still get an asset by holding on to him by, you know, the sign-and-trade here. And I guess that if you want to apply the same logic to baseball, the Rockies can let him walk and still get a comp pick, I believe. Um, but that's like a sandwich draft pick, and draft picks in baseball are such a crapshoot. There's no way that's worth more than whatever some team offered. Like, there is no right. way, Joe. There's no way. So this just defies absolutely all logic, especially when you look at the price that uh, was paid for Turner and Scherzer. Because, I mean, Turner's the only kind of comparable player. Like, I'd rather have Trey Turner than Trevor Story, but but not by, you know, a ton, honestly. Um, and, and you have to think that he was most of what drove the price of the top two Dodgers prospects and more. I'm sure you you know the the younger players in that trade a lot better than I do. Absolutely. So and they're, they're top quality. They're top quality prospects. Yeah, my like point major is major league ready. Yeah. It's, it's baffling. Like, you also have Daniel Bard, who's like a 37-year-old resurgent closer. Like, how do you not move him for something? Like, how, how is that possible? That's not a guy who's going to retain any value after last year. Somebody would have given you something. Like, the, the Rockies yep. just baffled me. After you move Arenado in the offseason, who, who's hitting just as well as when he was in Colorado, like, the whole situation is just crazy. Like, what a well, that's good. team to cheer for. That's good. That's 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 exactly how I wanted to start this show. Winners and losers of the deadline. We'll start with losers then, um, which is where I wanted to go, because I don't think you could talk about Major League Baseball trade deadline and not talk about uh, the Colorado Rockies and the disaster that is. Um, You have the following Antonio Senzatella, um, 26 year old pitcher. That has been relatively consistent over the years. I understand that if you're the Rockies and pitching is so embarrassingly difficult to maintain or or cultivate in a park like that, you want to keep a guy that kind of hovers around uh, a quality start kind of ERA per season, a guy who lasts 150 to 200 innings per season. But that's a guy I think they could have gotten a haul for. John Gray is another one who has been Mm. relatively consistent He's 29 years old. He's not a part of the future, especially during a rebuild like this. Eight months after you traded Nolan Arenado and $50 million cash to the St. Louis Cardinals, <coughs> excuse me, the Colorado Rockies front office might be the worst in sports at the moment. And they are loser number one. They are top loser on my list. And I didn't think that anyone could be worse than the Pittsburgh Pirates. But I think right now, Mm. it's safe to say after this deadline and the Nolan Arenado deal and not moving Blackman or not moving Trevor Story, this might be the worst front office in baseball. And I think it's going away. I don't even think it's close. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to argue based on this. It's really hard to argue. I mean, I think a lot of people, I'll lump myself in with this. On the Arenado deal, you were kind of like, you heard for so long that the Rockies were wanting to move on from Arenado. And, and this, that had been such a common refrain. I guess I kind of stopped questioning it as much. But you step back and, well, of course, the deal itself, everyone found shocking and the lack of return and the money also being sent. 
when Arenado's been nothing but like a, a Hall of Fame level, really, third baseman. He's so good defensively alone. Um, and then you look at this, and it's just it's baffling. You know the one guy who they did trade, Joe? Michael Givens for like nothing, for like a low-end prospect from Cincinnati. So uh, there, it defies all explanation. I don't know what else there is to say on the Rockies. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I also thought this deadline was relatively interesting because there weren't a lot of losers in this deadline. Agreed. In my mind. Um, and I think the, the Colorado Rockies are loser number one, obviously by a country mile. But I don't really think there are any other losers in this deadline, which is crazy. But there are some some teams that I'm a little bit confused at the direction they're taking. Uh, and the first one is the Atlanta Braves. I mean, this is a team that has really underperformed, but it's hard for me to criticize the moves they made in getting some extra power in Jock Peterson for a middling prospect, adding catcher depth in Steven Vogt, adding Jorge Soler, guys that have power that may be able to replace Marcelo Zuna. But again, in a division that was so wide open when these deals were made and not really set in stone, and it looks like you might have been right about the New York Mets. They kind of seem to be tumbling away. All of a sudden, the Atlanta Braves are nine games above 500, and they're leading the NL East again. What a comedy show this has become. Um, Where are you on the Atlanta Braves? Are you more, I guess, certain of their identity, or are you a little bit confused as far as where they're going, or is this team out of their funk? Freddie Freeman is dead, figuring out how to navigate the way he's been able to navigate, and and the pitching starting to, you know, make sense of itself. Are, where, where are you with the Atlanta Braves? That that was my question because I don't know whether or not to put them as a loser at the deadline or put them as a winner. I really have no idea. Oh, I, I think they're a winner, actually. And I think in the, the time since the deadline has is, is really vindicated the aggressive strategy from Alex Anthopoulos in that front office. Because, yeah, it was strange. I was with you on deadline day, you know. Uh, it was weird. They traded for, like, four outfielders. Um, and, yeah, added some more depth. But when you look at it, they really didn't pay almost anything for any of those guys. Like, I believe the, the highest-ranked prospect who moved was... Uh, Bryce Ball, is it, who they traded for Jock to the Cubs? Um, otherwise, like, they just traded Pablo Sandoval to get Eddie Rosario. Like, to me, Cleveland, you want to talk about That's losers crazy, the yes. deadline, they're a big loser, too. Because um, that deal made no sense in any way. I guess it saved them a little money, not paying Rosario. But you just clearly got a worse old player for an okay, potentially old player. Um, so I feel like the Atlanta Braves took almost no risk, shored up their outfield, you know, got some... Some bought low on a couple of guys like Duval and Rosario, and they've been vindicated yeah. based on the Mets tumble. And I, I was looking at the schedule, and the Mets are in a brutal schedule um, run right now, doing this deadly West Coast trip. They've got a very hard schedule the rest of the way, whereas the Phillies and Braves do not. And I think that the Braves front office looked at that, kind of saw that the Mets maybe were not as good as their record might have uh, led us to believe, and I think it was a calculated risk to go for it. You know, it's Anthopolis. It reminds me a little bit of the 2015 Jays, so I don't think this Mets team has the same ceiling as that Blue Jays squad. 
Um, so I think that the, the Braves are a big winner because if they sneak in the playoffs, you know, are they going to be a World Series favorites? No, but anything can happen. And I think the risk was pretty minimal, honestly. Well, anything can happen is the idea. But I think you've you've taken me over to the winning side for the Atlanta Braves. I was just unsure. I really didn't know what this team's identity was, but the performance on the field has been backed up. So I really can't say much uh, in that regard. Now, here's another one uh, that, that I'm unsure about, and that's the Seattle Mariners. Mm. Um, Seattle's been a team that I think a lot of people, including the two of us, cannot believe they are where they are. And they went out and acquired a starter to shore up their rotation. And Tyler Anderson, uh, still in the prime of his career, four to four and a half ERA every single season. has just been the model of consistency. Then they trade their two consensus better relievers in insane closer Kendall Graveman, who's been off the charts this season, and Rafael Montero, who's been serviceable, for Abraham Toro, one of Houston's better infield prospects. And Seattle Mariners fans everywhere were kind of up in arms. Uh, famously, Mina Kimes of ESPN, how do you trade him to the division rival? Um, and so that confused a lot of people. But Abraham Toro has been hitting 380 since becoming a Mariner, and he's extremely young and controllable. So it's hard to really criticize that move. Then they go and acquire Diego Castillo because they realized, well, we're still kind of in this insanely weird wild card race in the American League. And they got him for a pittance, really. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody really understands that deal from Tampa Bay's end, a team that thought they needed bullpen arms earlier in the year. And that's why they traded young stud shortstop prospect in William Adonis because they figured we're they were going to call up Wander Franco, top prospect in baseball. They could afford to trade a shortstop prospect that didn't figure into their future plans. Fine. Nobody questioned that move, but they're questioning the Diego Castillo move because JT Chargois is basically a hybrid minor leaguer, major leaguer. Like he's going to bounce up and down levels. Mm -hmm. And Austin Shenton wasn't barely a top 10 prospect in the, in the Mariner system, if that. So... Uh I mean, Seattle, I think, might be a winner I'm leaning toward, but I'm not sure. Where do you lean? Yeah, I, I'm with you, actually. I, I would have early on after the Graveman deal thought that it was, a, a, you know, a disappointing move considering how insane his season is. Like, his what is ERA last time I checked? It's closer to, like, half a run or under one. Uh, anyway, um, but the way it all worked out, you got to love what Seattle did because they – you know, uh, overall, Joe, do I think they're an actual contender? No. I mean, they have a better record than the Jays, but they're also run differential is way on the, the negative side. It seems like it's not sustainable at all. But I, I'm with you. I absolutely love it. I mean, you're selling high on Graveman, right? For sure. Like, there's no way he can be better than he is now. And you don't have the same control. And Toro, by the way, who's going to be every Vancouverite's favorite player. I don't know if this will factor in at all, but... He's going to be uh, everybody in the West Coast here because he's a Canadian, too. Uh, and he'll he'll help with the, the Canadian crowd. And he's just raking. I think that they, they, they bought low on Toro, who had been up with the Astros for a lot of the year and not hitting well. Even getting an extended uh, shot at third base for a little while. He, he never really put it together. 
Um, so I think it's an incredible move because they also have Diego Castillo under team control until 2024. And the prospect you mentioned they moved uh, along with uh, Chargois was uh, the 17th ranked guy in their system. So it's not that big of a sacrifice. And you picked up Tyler Anderson. I was actually mad in retrospect the Jays didn't trade for Tyler Anderson because they, they got him without giving up like a top 30 prospect. This is, again, the Pirates yes. just being a, a stupid, stupid organization. Like they got nothing for him, basically. And, and so I think that the Mariners made themselves definitely better in the long term, possibly better in the short term, and uh, just took value in a couple of spots. So Jerry Depoto sometimes feels like he makes trades for the sake of making trades. But I got to say, I quite like this deadline for them, even though I don't expect them to make the playoffs. They're better short and long term. Well, and that's what it's about, though. Like, I think most GMs fall into the trap of looking at the race sometimes and looking at the standings and seeing what they are and what they can become. If we do this, if we do that, if we acquire this, if we feel this need, then we can challenge for a World Series, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't really put the Dodgers in this group because they are just silly. They can afford to have a $250 million payroll, and they can afford to go get two of the top 15 uh, players at each of their positions for two top prospects to challenge as a repeat champion. That's different. I don't think anyone's questioning that move in any way, shape, or form. And if any Dodger fan does, yeah, okay, great prospects going the other way, but, like, this is the window. This is it now. I mean, Bellinger and Seager are coming up on their contracts. You're going to win. You're going to win now. Um, so that's not even a discussion. But for, for the rest of the teams that made moves, and we'll continue to, to divulge and, and decompress this, but what I am so impressed with with Seattle is just that. All they focused on was getting better now and later. And they didn't focus on the standings, positions of need necessarily, because Seattle had the infield pretty much done with Kyle Seeger and J.P. Crawford and, and Dylan Moore and all those guys. They didn't really need to shore up any positions, maybe some depth. But Abraham Toro just gives them versatility. And you can move Kyle Seeger to DH to give him a night off. And you can put guys in the outfield like Dylan Moore more often. And put Abraham Toro at second base because he's played both positions and good at both positions defensively. And Tyler Anderson, yeah, this is the big one. And, and thank you for helping me with the segue. But here's where I am with the Blue Jays now. I'm still in between because, okay, you go and acquire Brad Hand for nothing. Great. You know why you're able to get Brad Hand for nothing? Because his advanced stats all season and over the last year and a half have consistently deteriorated and gotten worse. And the stuff hasn't been there. Um, you go and get Joaquin Soria from the, from the Diamondbacks. Exactly same situation. Now, I don't blame the front office for these moves because they gave up nothing. But again, you're getting what you pay for in this scenario. So if you're truly going for it, are these the relievers you go after? Or is it the Kendall Gravemans, Diego Castillos, and Tyler Andersons of the world? Because the move they make after getting these relievers and getting Adam Simber and Corey Dickerson, of course, was to go and get Jose Barrios. Now, Blue Jay fans everywhere, wow, Jose Barrios, wonderful move, fantastic move. On the surface, it's a good move. This is a 27, 28-year-old, I'm not sure his age, I think it's 27 years old, starting pitcher in this league who's been in the league for three seasons, has been relatively consistent 
just above average. But again, he's young. The upside's there. He's 27. He's a 94, baby. Um, you know, was drafted really high by the Minnesota Twins in the 2012 NBA draft and has been basically their best pitcher, right, since he's been called up. Mm-hmm. And so the Blue Jays paid a premium for a guy that seven teams are interested in. But that just goes to tell you, um, you have the Dodgers who are extremely interested. They would rather give up their top two prospects and go get Scherzer and Trey Turner. You have the Yankees who are interested. They would rather give up their ninth and seventh ranked prospects to go get Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. Um, you know, so here we are. Is this an overpay? And where do you lean with the Blue Jays month of July as far as moves? Well, it's um, that much easier to say based on how the team has performed since the deadline. But it just, it all gave me sort of a knot in my stomach the whole, the whole time, to be honest. Um, because it's not only about how aggressive the Jays were, despite having such a slim chance. Like, I think at the deadline, it was a 26% chance of making the playoffs, looking at the numbers. But those don't even tell the whole story, right? Because uh, you're, you're competing against the Yankees, who are also being extremely aggressive and have, frankly, more upside on that roster, I think, than the, the Blue Jays do in some ways. Um, and, and then also the Red Sox getting uh, Chris Sale back for free you know, who you're kind of competing against uh, for the playoff spot as well. So I thought I was definitely surprised with, uh, well, I wasn't surprised that the Jays were aggressive. I think even the last time we talked, I said that uh, after the Simber deal, I thought it was a precursor to a much bigger move, which was right, but I didn't love it still. Because if you consider the fact that you're trading two, you know, top four prospects and the caliber, right? Because uh, I believe Austin Martin is the 16th ranked prospect in the MLB pipeline, and Simeon Woods Richardson was somewhere in the 60s overall. So these are really highly regarded uh, prospects in the entire league, not just in the Jays organization. Um, so I thought it was an overpay, frankly. I mean, you look at the the value of the prospects not being so far off what the Dodgers paid for Scherzer and Turner. Like, yes, the Dodgers prospects are are ranked higher, and it was their number one and two. But when you consider that you get a all-time great pitcher who's still having a great season, even though he's old, and a controllable elite shortstop um, compared to Barrios, who's been a good pitcher, I would not qualify him as elite. He's a borderline Correct. all-star. Who's you know? Correct. Yes. Yeah, he's a borderline all-star. It's a, it's a very different tier than even a Max Scherzer, in my opinion. I know you're down on this trade, too, so we might be feed, feeding into each other. I don't um, think I'm down enough on it, though. And I, I think this is probably, in their tenure as, as general manager and president of the Blue Jays, this might be, as far as value proposition, the worst deal they've made running this team. And I, I, don't, I don't even say that with negativity because I don't dislike Jose Barrios. And I actually, his success is directly now attached to the Blue Jays' success. So I want him to do well. But the value proposition here, like I, I want to quote a friend of mine who works for uh, Sportsnet, and I'm not going to say his name, but if you're going to make this trade and give up this kind of capital, go get me an ace. Go get me my number one. David Price, right? Well, exactly. And the Blue Jays paid less for David Price in 2015. And quite frankly, the Dodgers paid less to get Scherzer and Turner. It's not even close. The Yankees paid less to get Joey Gallo. 
who's one of the best hitters in baseball right now. And the Mets paid less to get Javier Baez, who, yes, he strikes out 5 million times a game. I get it. But the guy has flash, and he hits huge home runs all the time. Now, I know that you can't quantify that in a trade discussion, and you can't quantify that as far as advanced analytics go. But the guy's a fantastic baseball player. We all know that. San Francisco paid less to get Chris Bryant. These are the trades we're talking about. And if the Blue Jays were truly going for it, then you go get guys like that. Go fill out the roster. Instead of Santiago Espinal playing third, how about Chris Bryant? You know, instead of Randall Gritchett playing right field, how about Jorge Soler or Javi Baez or moving Marcus Simeon out there, putting Baez at second place? You, you could give your lineup more flexibility. So I know the second half of the show is going to be geared towards Blue Jays, but this is, I'm going to put the Blue Jays as big losers in July this year. And, and, and I just, I think for two reasons, one, the context where this team is. Okay. They're behind the Yankees and the athletics. It's not like they're behind Seattle and the Mets, you know, they're behind the Yankees athletics and Red Sox. This is who you're chasing to make the playoffs. It's just not going to happen. Whether or not you're getting Barrios, and, and I understand, they're big needs. We've talked about this 100 times on this show, and people have talked about this hundreds of times throughout the Blue Jays season. What do you hear on, on, on the Blue Jays broadcast? What do you hear on postgame? The bullpen sucks. Bullpen's blown 22 saves. You're going to sit there and tell me the answer to our bullpen is an aging Brad Hand walking Soria and an underarm hurler who throws 85 at a weird arm angle and Adam Simber, I don't buy it. So I'm very, very confused at, at, at the Blue Jays July. And I'm going to put them in the L column myself. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I would agree to give the quick devil's advocate other side of it. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of talk around baseball that uh, Brios could be a guy who could unlock another level. Like we've seen him be dominant and an ace at times, not so much in the last year or arguably two years, but he has sort of looked like he could be that guy and the stuff is there. Like his stuff is nasty. And Pete Walker seems to be an excellent pitching coach who's very highly regarded. And you look at what he's done with Robbie Ray, right, this year and, and how he's really pulled the talent out of him and, and made the most out of raw talent. So maybe he can do the same and maybe that's more of a project for next year. And so if, if uh, Barrios ends up being like an, an ace, then maybe it's worth it. And also you look at some of the other big trades involving extremely highly touted prospects from the Jays before, uh, and very few of those prospects have come back to burn us, with Syndergaard sort of being the exception, kind of. But, uh, you know, Jeff Hoffman is barely kicking around the majors, Daniel Norris too, right? Like a lot of these guys who seem like can't miss pitching prospects, more Simeon Woods-Richardson I'm talking here than Austin Martin, uh, you know, don't always turn out, especially because he's got a control issue and, that's sometimes tough to figure out at the major league level. So, I mean, we can't for sure, right, you know, decide on a trade where we have no idea what the other half of it is at this point, like zero information. But when you look at the relative value compared to the other deals at the deadline, that's something we can evaluate. And uh, it looks very bad for Toronto. I just respectfully, here is, here is what it comes down to respectfully, okay? It's the value proposition. I fully respect that we have zero idea what the other half of the trade is. So, of course, this is going to be reactionary, and that's what we do on sports podcasts. 
any trade with a prospect is going to be reactionary in general. So if we're going to rate this one, it's an L at this moment in time. But that can obviously change. Um, but I'm giving it a big L right now. <laughs> Just, again, if you're going for it, then sell it to me. Sell to me that you're going for it. Go get the guy at the hot corner that you need. Because clearly, Cabin Biggio and Santiago Espinal is not the answer here. And that's why this team is not where they need to be right now, record-wise. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu is not a, a baby anymore. This is an older pitcher. Uh, you're wasting the absolute magic from Teoscar Hernandez, who won AL Player of the Week two of the last three weeks. Rightfully so. He's hitting lights out. I mean, this guy's going to need a big payday. Um, and, and, and is Jose Barrios going to sign with this team long-term? You're going to sit there and tell me that a young pitcher in the prime of his life that's widely regarded as, you said, some of the nastiest stuff in Major League Baseball, you think he wants to stay in the American League East? I mean, well, I don't I, buy it. I, I, don't buy, I won't believe it until I see it. The biggest free agent this team has signed in the last 35 years is George Springer. And with respect to George Springer and Mr. Springer, thank you for coming to the Blue Jays and gracing us with your World Series MVP presence. But he's 32 years old, and the Blue Jays overpaid George Springer by about $30 million as well just to get him to come here. How much money is Jose Barrios going to command? You haven't paid Vlad and Bo Bichette yet. There's so many questions um, that, hey, some might be relevant questions. I might be overreacting. Who knows? I might need you to talk me off the ledge here. But I just don't see this deadline as, yeah, we're going for it. I just, I don't, I feel like this was a half-hearted going for it. And that's just the worst thing you can do. Okay, I agree on that. But I don't think I'm nearly as down on this, I guess, as you are overall. So I will continue to play devil's advocate, even though I will state for the record I did not like this trade. Um the one thing Barrios does is that he kind of fills an in-between need for this pitching staff, though, where you kind of have a couple of guys who are veterans, uh, you know, older guys who are at the peak and likely going nowhere but down, which is Robbie Ray and Ryu. And then you have, you know, some younger guys. Obviously, Manoa has been a revelation. And where would this team be if, if he hadn't come up and pitched the way he has? Um, but you don't really have this guy who's sort of, right in their prime or entering their prime who, who should be able to perhaps take that next step and kind of be a, an anchor who could still be ascending or certainly not reaching his, uh, his, his uh, peak or descending anytime soon uh, in Berrios, who's, who's right sort of in that, that sweet spot in the middle age-wise. So I do think that the Jays were kind of missing that guy and he, he provides more balance and that it really could be a, an invaluable asset for next year if they can unlock something in the offseason or going into it. So I do think you got to really consider that this move is not entirely for this season. And that makes a lot more sense when you look at the context of some of the other moves, that it was, you know, patchwork trades for mediocre or okay or unproven relievers, as you criticized. So I think that that's really uh, sort of the saving grace and, and justifying this trade that, you know, trust the front office. Like if the Tampa Bay Rays made this trade, Joe, how would we feel about it? We'd think the Rays know something we don't, right? There's something in the spin rate, something in the I... analytics that they think they can unlock. Like, what if we give them the benefit of the doubt and, and we see something there? And, and who knows their own prospects better than 
than Toronto, right? What if they see something with Simeon Woods Richardson or Martin? Like, it's possible there's a lot of information we don't know. And considering the track record of this front office, I mean, it's tough to say what their track record is overall. Is it great? No. Is it terrible? Certainly not. And we haven't been burned by really terrible prospect-related trades. In fact, a lot of the values look pretty good from what they've done. So I, I still think that we should give it a little more time, and we'll see what they do in the offseason. And I think that, you know, as much as uh, a lot of these relievers are not necessarily going to help them make the playoffs at this point, and Brad Hand has actively really hurt them, uh, I, I think that uh, this, this deal is about a lot more than this year. I'm going to pose you this question, okay, in response to that, because I actually agree with all of that. This was not for this year. This was for also next year, and it was also to hopefully sign a proven pitcher long term, which I respect all of that. And I don't I don't doubt that's what the motivations were for this move. I also don't doubt that maybe they see something in Austin Martin. Obviously, um, you know coincidentally or conveniently you started to see reports about Austin Martin's power being an issue. And maybe they didn't think who he thought he was, of course, after the trade was made. So I take all of those reports with a grain of salt. And I also understand that prospects are what they are. They're prospects. I'm going to pose you this question. What if he doesn't sign long-term here? And if that's the case, if you're trading for a guy that maybe you can unlock something in, are you giving up one of your best prospects for that? Is anybody? I don't. I, I won't. I don't think you would. So it always, it always circles back to that. It always circles back to the value proposition. But we've got to move on here. We'll, we'll talk more about the Blue Jays and Brios uh, after the break. The New York Yankees were in a weird place before the deadline. Of course, their fans are absolutely insane. And if the team is not performing the way they absolutely expected to, which means win 162 games out of 162 games, then everyone's panicking. But I think there was actually a lot of cause for concern in the first half of this year. You had guys like Jeff Passam calling out the Yankees' offense as boring and uninspired. And this is a team that might not make the playoffs and all that wonderful stuff. Fast forward after 122 games, they have 70 victories and they are firmly in the wildcard spot. And they are also only five games out of the division league. And the Red Sox and Blue Jays have started to fall below the top two spots and below the wildcard situation here. After the Yankees decided to go and get two bombing left-handed bats to fill out their batting order and replace they're very disappointing depth guys with Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. I mean, is this a save your job kind of move for Brian Cashman or is this just what they needed? And now the Yankees are back to being the Yankees. Well, I mean, on the, the surface on the deadline itself, I don't know about you. I thought that the Yankees and the Jays did, you know, different approaches, but took a similar huge risk in that the math said, it was very unlikely they would make the playoffs, even with some additions. Uh, and uh, and both teams really sort of went all in. And while it has not worked out for the Jays so far, and in fact they're, I think, slightly further back than they were or around the same, uh, it really has for the Yankees. I mean, and this is even with Rizzo missing most of his time in since going to New York, being on the COVID list, because their team seems to keep getting outbreaks. 
Um, I think that it, it makes them terrify, and they've made up ground faster than I could have imagined. I think part of this was that the Yankees were always going to buy. They were either going to stand pat or buy. The Yankees just don't seem to sell no matter what. Um, and I think we should also be very scared because they're staying underneath the luxury tax because that seems to matter for this season to them for some reason, but, but likely a precursor to a big spending offseason again. So, yikes. Um, and everything, yeah, it, it, the Yankees kind of seem to go away from this philosophy of getting big old lefty power bats in Yankee Stadium. I mean, it was almost such an obvious strategy that it uh, started backfiring somehow. I mean, people knew what they were doing and, and they, they were kind of, two lefty for a while and now they got two righty and then they've sort of gotten balanced. I mean, the Gallo addition, he just, he, isn't he like such a Yankee Joe? Like he just, he fits their team in every way so perfectly. Um, and the downside of that is he's like a lot of their other hitters and that he's uh, very much sort of the quintessential three outcome guy in the league right now, Homer walk or strikeout. Yeah. However, he's doing a lot more of that homering and walking these days, and uh, and his bat just plays perfectly there. And then you have this great problem at first base now, where Luke Voigt is suddenly kind of healthy and hitting, while Rizzo is out and demanding playing time and noting that he got MVP votes and led the league in homers last year. And he's also a guy that the Yankees have gotten nothing out of to this point. So if you can have an outfield, like say you can play Stanton in the outfield, which has not been proven, but say your outfield is Stanton, Gallo, Judge, and then you have Voight and uh, Rizzo as your first base DH, like that is terrifying, let alone if you get anything from the rest of the infield or Sanchez, you know? Uh, so I think that the Yankees also, I, I think they were going to be aggressive no matter what, because that's just what they do. But their pitching has sort of come together. Tyon and Montgomery have uh, started to figure it out in the second half. Corey Kluber is making rehab starts uh, right now. I don't know if you bank on him, but you might get something out of him. It's all really come together for New York. Not like they need more, but uh, this is the this is the 2015 Blue Jays gamble that appears to be paying off in spades. And if they do make the playoffs, which seems more and more likely, I mean, they're in that spot right now. It's also a team that no one's going to want to face. Is this even a gamble? I mean, come on. What, what, uh, I, I've criticized Brian Cashman over the years. I, I think everyone who is a loyal, loyal listener of this show understands how much I absolutely go back and forth on Brian Cashman. I just never know um, what he's going to do. And I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but he gave up two top ten prospects – for two elite hitters, one of which, and Anthony Rizzo, who with the uh, uh, ballpark-adjusted stats, would have hit nine more home runs had he started the season with the Yankees this year, mm. and 39 home, more home runs had he started with the Yankees in 2020. I mean, the guy is a great hitter. And if he's doing it with the short porch and right in New York, I mean, who is really going to beat this team in the American League right now? I <laughs> I really don't know. I really do not know, other than maybe the Astros, who have, from start to finish, have been elite this season. And, and it, it makes me want to throw up saying that, but they've been a fantastic baseball team with, with the resurgence of, of their young, uh, or not even young anymore, but their veteran all-star infield in Bregman, Altuve, and, and Correa, but with Jordan Alvarez as well. That might be the only team that I think can truly challenge the Yankees in the American League right oh. now, because... 
I disagree. I still like the Rays and White Sox better. Also, I gotta really? be honest. Yeah, I do because the Yankees' pitching depth. I mean, it's 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 working right now. But if you think about like a, a series, and you look at how the White Sox would line up with like Giolito and Radon and. I don't know who would be there. Lance Lynn, right? Probably. That's an, uh, who's probably the favorite for the AL Cy Young. Like, that's an unbelievable one, two, three. And Garrett Cole can match up with one of them. But the next two, you, you take the White Sox by a mile. And the bullpen, the White Sox bullpen's amazing. They added Kimbrell and Tapera. And the Yankees bullpen is a dumpster fire right now. I mean, they brought Chapman back off the IL, and he kind of blew his first almost save chance, and then they brought Chad Green out, and he almost blew a three-run save last night. Um, so this is still an issue for them. Like, I don't think they're a perfect team by any means, Joe, especially when you consider the Rays just find ways to win. I actually think the White Sox are the best team in the AL right now. And then you mentioned the Astros. However, I think they're in a great spot to at least make the playoffs and, and have a puncher's chance. I certainly like them better than the Red Sox right now. I... That's yes, they're definitely better than the Red Sox. I love the White Sox. Thank you for helping me segue into that. I do believe, though, the way with the way Jameson Tyone's been pitching as well, that there could be something in the water for the Yankees. But obviously, I'm banking on Jose uh, Luis Severino coming back, mm. and and I don't think that's the situation. I I don't think we can bet on that. Yeah, um, going especially now with his shoulder. He had a setback. tight again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it got tight again. But I think you're selling Jonathan Loisega and Chad Green a bit short. I know they've struggled mm-hmm. recently, but I think that that kind of goes with the ebbs and flows of a really long baseball season. I, I don't think people truly appreciate the difference from going from a shortened season now jumping back to a long season. It's affected a lot of teams differently yeah. as far as health. But this batting order can mask a lot of flaws. <laughs> And it, it it really is daunting. I mean, they feel like the Monstars. We haven't even mentioned DJ LeMahieu yet, um, who's been down. But that guy can turn it on at any minute as well. Uh, and Aaron Hicks, who's been injured, who's proven to be a very good hitter when he's healthy. Um, obviously, Rugnet Odor doesn't factor into this conversation. I can't even yeah. believe he's on a roster I agree. in general. But he has 14 home runs on the year. And he's slugging 420. I mean, quietly too, because nobody really takes him seriously, um, and rightfully so. He's been he's been quite bad over the last few seasons. But that segue with the White Sox, I think they made out with a king's ransom uh, in acquiring Kimbrel and Tapera respectively, and not giving up any of their top four, top five prospects to do it. Oh, um, I love. And, I and love this White was Sox. a team that already had an elite bullpen. In Michael Kopik and in Garrett Crochet and like Liam Hendricks, that batting order and Liam Hendricks. How can I forget? How dare I forget? And, and Aaron Bummer. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a team that already was good in that regard. Then they add to Perra and Kimbrell. Um, that starting rotation has Dallas Keuchel as their fifth best. It's pretty spectacular how they've built this team. And, you know, before I give Tony Larusa any credit, I never will. I mean, I think I think it's a testament to how good this team is. I think anybody can manage this team to a World Series appearance. That's how absolutely dominant they are. And with Luis Robert back in this lineup, I watched him the other night uh, against the Yankees. I mean, this guy is 
such a, uh, he's a pleasure. I mean, he is, we don't deserve him. He really is a, a fantastic baseball player. And, and that is, that addition alone feels like a, an off, uh, a deadline acquisition because he's missed the first half of the season. And watching and he, him back in the lineup and, and Eloy Jimenez yeah. coming back from injury. I mean, they were great without those two guys this year. That's just a testament to how how good of a baseball this team has been. You know what? I, I still think the Yankees are the proven commodity because they've been to the ALCS and obviously have failed, but they've been there the last little while and young teams tend to maybe flame out or lose early in the playoffs. But if there's a team that is built for it, uh, other than the Astros and Yankees, it's this White Sox team. They, they had, for me, the second best deadline, other than the fact that what the Dodgers did just beats everybody as far as acquiring a Hall of Fame pitcher and a top three shortstop in the league. But what the White Sox did to add to an already incredible team, I think is, is pretty unbelievable at this deadline. Well, I mean, we didn't even mention the one other move. They they plugged the one sort of hole in their lineup by getting Cesar Hernandez for very little at second base, who is, to me, one of the more interesting players. He is a guy, Joe, who has completely flipped his identity as a player. I mean, you, you have an affinity for the Phillies, so you know what he was like early in his career, right? High average speed kind of second baseman. Cesar Hernandez quietly has turned into like a power-hitting middle infielder. Uh, I feel like Freddie Galvis has done a little bit of this, but not quite to the same degree that Hernandez doesn't run anymore, but he hits for an okay average and he hits bombs. He's already at a career high in homers. I believe he's, uh, he's sniffing around 20 ish at the moment. Yeah, He has 20 right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's already a career high. I believe he's on pace to smash that he's reimagined himself. You know, he's one of those players who's figured out, uh, you know, the, the uh, swing trajectories and whatnot. And uh, that was sort of the one hole in the White Sox lineup. To me, Joe, I mean, the Dodgers are a wagon and they're an all-star team and it's really hard to pick against them. But out of the American League, the White Sox, despite Tony La Russa, um, are, are clearly my, uh, my favorite team. And can you imagine if we have an ALCS that's Dusty Baker versus Tony La Russa? If it's the oh Astros and White Sox, which is what my prediction would be right now. Those are my two favorite teams. But, like, what year is it, you know? Holy smokes. Maybe that does just go to your your uh, refrain that managers don't matter anymore. <laughs> oh, well, actually, or- I hope that happens because that will solidify my claim that managers are completely and utterly uh, devoid of, of the effect they have on their team other than them being a negative effect. Uh, but before we go to break... Your dream World Series matchup. I think mine is is Dodgers-Astros, just for the spiciness of it. Mm. Um, but honestly, as far as star power and star quality uh, and young Spanish elite players, I would be obsessed with a Dodgers-White Sox World Series situation. Um, just seeing the young boppers um, uh, from Central and South America on the White Sox go up against the Spanish heritage of L.A. and Julio Urias and, and the L.A. Dodgers and maybe having potentially Albert Pujols on the playoff roster, which would honestly make me cry uh, tears of joy because I think anyone who knows um, or who watches Albert Pujols, how can you not like him? He's a consummate professional, never tested positive for performance enhancers throughout his career. 
and is so close to 700. I mean, he can taste it. I think it's at 680 right now. Um, he's not coming back next season. He's obviously retiring, which kind of sucks, but I would truly love it if he somehow got to 700 home runs. I mean, oh, and in a yeah. Dodger uniform, sign me up. I mean, he's hitting 265 with the LA Dodgers this year. He's 15 home runs. It's incredible what what's happened. You leave a dumpster fire of an organization, and all of a sudden you've rediscovered your career. Um, he's batted yeah. in 32 runs in a quarter of a season, basically, with the LA Dodgers because he basically didn't play with the with the LA Angels. But man, I would just, that would be something else. He's at yeah. 676 right now. He's got 24 to go. Wow. <sighs> yeah, that's. I mean, it's still it's still a tall order, at least for this season. I think he'd come have to come back as like a, a pinch hitter type in the National League next year, probably. Um, but my dream world series would actually be, I'd like some, some fresh blood in there. And speaking of the stars and stuff, I'd love to see, this is, I would expect white Sox and Dodgers. If you're going to make me predict, I would love to see Oakland and San Diego. That is my dream world series. Because you get, you get almost a more lovable version of the Rays. Like the Rays just became annoying with their analytics last year. Oakland also just figures out how to win and be successful and spend no money, but they don't do it in such a like obnoxious way that Tampa Bay does that, uh, or that's my feeling anyway. There's something just obnoxious about Tampa. Like they just know they're smarter than everyone. Give it a rest. Leave Blake Snell in. Um, and then Blake Snell could get a revenge <laughs> tour. That's part of the, uh, the other angle as well. And you get some fresh blood in the world series. And, and I'd love for the, uh, the modern A's to actually win one as well. And then you get the star power, right? Give me Fernando Tatis, all day long. Like, besides Shohei yep. Otani, I don't think there's a player I'd rather watch on that stage, and the Angels certainly aren't going to be there. So, uh, Padres, A's, my Dream World Series, not going to happen, though. <laughs> I hate to admit this. Probably both going to leave admit in the wild this, card. But, yeah, I hate to admit this. I love that matchup. I mean, obviously, my disdain for, for the Padres knows no bounds, but my love for Fernando Tatis as well knows no bounds. I mean, he is... He is something else. What, what an absolute joy the man is. And he's missed uh, three, three times he's missed playing time due to injury. He's come back better than he did before. Obviously, this shoulder is, is something for concern, and it's freaking me out as, as a watcher of the sport, but also someone concerned for his health. Um, but he, he just continues to be the best player in baseball right now. And for my money... That's the National League MVP. Agreed. Period. Mm -hmm. The San Diego Padres have 67 wins. He's missed 18 games. And and what's unbelievable is just the, the absolute impact the guy has every time he steps on the field. He gets on base at such a stupid clip. He hits bombs regularly. And he just is a consummate professional. He's on pace for 53 home runs. He's missed 18 games. He has 24 net stolen bases. This doesn't count the times he was caught stealing. And somehow is is the number two ranked fantasy baseball player while missing 18 games. Yeah. It just blows my mind what this man does and continues to do on a regular basis. And, yes, we all love and respect Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 
and I adore him. And I think what he's doing is so special. But I still take Fernando Tatis on my team before anybody right now. And and I don't even think I would blink. Really? <laughs> like, I, 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 yeah. I mean, as a bat, like, I think it's two different discussions. I think his shoulder uh, issues are very concerning long-term, very concerning, uh, especially now the move to the outfield. I get that's a this season kind of thing, but a repeated shoulder injury for a guy his age, it would really concern me long-term. However, in this season, I agree. I mean, you said we were going to maybe talk MVPs. I think it's kind of over in both leagues. It's Shohei Otani, as much as Vlad yeah. would be an, an MVP most years, I'd argue. I mean, you put his numbers up to Jose Abreu last year, and like Vlad runs away it's with the MVP. Yes. Um, I think it's Otani, and it's done just because of the two-way thing, especially now that he's been maybe the best pitcher in the American League in the last month. And then it's Tatis, who leads the NL in homers and steals, and it's right there in average despite uh, missing 18 games. Like I, I'd, I'd be shocked. If Tatis stays healthy the rest of the year, it's, it's his to lose. And Otani has it. He could hit for the rest of the year and pitched to a six ERA. And I think he still has it in the AL. Yeah. I think that is, uh, that is well said my friend. but on that note, we're going to have to go to break. Um, we'll be back when we get back, we are going to be talking blue Jays. Um, and again, I'm sorry. I can't answer your mailbag questions today, but please continue to contribute. Um, if you find the answer to your question in our discussion with Toby, you're welcome in advance. I hope you do. Uh, we'll be back. Rangers are the Stanley Cup champions! And this one will last a lifetime! In regulation. It is caught by Dyson. Can he get in? No, he cannot! Mike Jones made the tackle! Super Bowl. And is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe it? And we're back. This is the best show in podcast history. Guest host Toby Kerr. Uh, we love having you on the show, and we obviously appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. Love it. MVP of the show, producer Jake. And, of course, our lovely sponsors, 255 by Alterosa Restaurant over at uh, 255 Bass Pro Mills Drive, just outside of Vaughn Mills. Across the way, Pat and Gabriella go try their Tuscan baked beans and truffle rigatoni. Uh, it is out of this world. Patio or indoors, um, they will give you that family feel that just cannot be beat. And we love you um, for continuing to support our podcast, 255, Never Change. Um, and General Tech Auto, we trust them with our cars, and so should you. Check them out at General Tech Auto on Instagram, at General Tech Auto North York, at 1277 Caledonia Road, just outside Yorkdale Mall, and uh, behind the Orphis Outlets, the famous shopping outlets that uh, regrettably have been decimated because of the COVID situation and, you know, obviously the hesitance of people to go out and shop. But I think we will beat this. And please go support our boys. Bring your car in for oil change and all that wonderful things. Um to them at 21277 Caledonia Road. Now, on to the show. Um, we're back, Mr. Toby Kerr. Lots to get into. One trade we, we missed and I think is absolutely fascinating, and I do agree with you. Thank you for, for pointing this out. But 
the Miami Marlins and Oakland A's made a deal. Uh, the A's gave up young um, star pitcher who's qu- quietly struggled uh, throughout the season with a multitude of injuries and control issues to the Miami Marlins for starting outfielder Starling Marte, who has had a resurgence in his veteran age with the Miami Marlins himself. Um, you call this trade intriguing. So do I. He hasn't hit for a crazy amount of power, but my God, he's stolen a gazillion bases. He's slugging 450. He's batted in 37 runs, continues to get on base at top of the, the Oakland lineup and wreak havoc on the base path. Um, where are you on the Starling Marte deal? Oh, I hope Jesus Luzardo for, for either team. I think both of these players are, are fascinating and misunderstood. Uh, I think Marte is one of the most underrated players in baseball. I think that his uh, rapid transition from a few different teams has led people to sort of undervalue what he does. Uh, he was playing for a crap organization in Pittsburgh for a long time, then went to Arizona and now went over to Miami and now Oakland. But he's for a guy who's being moved so much. I mean, the guy's just a star. Like, he, he's, he's an all-star player. The stolen bases are crazy. He was running wild on a Miami team that wasn't really in it this year. So you kind of thought, well, maybe they're just letting him go. But he's doing the same thing on Oakland. And he doesn't really walk, and he's not a home run hitter. But that doesn't mean he's not a power hitter. I mean, you look at the slugging, it's there because he, 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 he smacks extra base hits a lot of the time. And then he's a terror on the base path, and he creates runs with his legs. He's not only stealing with incredible frequency, but also with incredible efficiency. Very rarely gets thrown out. Uh, smart player. He, he plays a good center field. And with Loriano out for Oakland with that PED suspension, uh, what a crucial move it was for them. So that obviously they didn't know when they made the deal. But I think that alone sort of vindicates the move. Uh, so I love Marte for Oakland. I think he's just invaluable. And I think he's going to be a super intriguing uh, piece this winter. But then on the other side, Lizardo, I mean, I have a real affinity for him because you and I play in a pretty serious keeper fantasy baseball league, and he was my guy last year. Uh, and hung on to him, and the stuff was there. And he looked electric. And even starting last season as a very young pitcher, 22 at the time, I want to say, uh, yep. he had some control issues. The walks were a thing, but... He looked unhittable, right? Lefty who who throws high 90s with some nasty movement on his off-speed pitches. Uh, so the stuff is there. But somehow this year, it has just, to me, just pretty inexplicably not clicked. I mean, he got sent down because he was he got demoted to the bullpen after he, bro- he pitched poorly, broke his hand playing video games somehow, uh, then was demoted to the bullpen, then eventually the minors because he gave up a homer like almost every appearance out of the pen, which is... Uh, kind of incredible. It's hard to do if you're trying. Uh, and then since he's gone to Miami, he's also pitched to like a nine ERA or something. So Lizardo has been an unmitigated disaster for this year, but that doesn't mean that this deal can't be an absolute win-win long-term. I think that, uh, that the Miami Marlins, Joe, have quietly been one of the best teams in developing pitching in baseball over the last few years. I mean, you look at some of their homegrown talent, uh, Rogers, when he comes back, maybe the favorite for rookie of the year. If he's got enough innings, he's been absolutely unbelievable for them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara, two of the most underrated pitchers in the league. You've got Hernandez there. You've got uh, Sixto Sanchez. You know, he's in the minors now as well coming up. 
But I think Miami is a sneaky, great organization to land in, to develop as a young pitcher. I think Marte is a sneaky, great player. So this deal got some attention, but I think that it could be such an ideal win-win for both of these teams. It doesn't matter what Lizardo does this year, uh, but it, it's going to be pretty interesting to evaluate long-term because Marte is the type of bat who I think quietly could push a team over the top. Yeah, well, here's here's the... Here's the fascinating thing. And you hit the nail on the head in two respects. First, um, clearly the Oakland A's knew the Loriano suspension was coming before the public did. Uh, and that's why they made this deal. Because um, um, how could you yeah. not? I mean, it's funny. I guess. I look at the Oakland A's roster and I thought, why do they need Starling Marte? I mean, uh, obviously anybody needs Starling Marte. He's a fantastic baseball player. So on the surface, that sounds like an extremely stupid question. But this was an outfield I really liked uh, in Mark Canna, Piscotti, and and Pinder, and Loriano, which is crazy to say that because who likes Chad Pinder? Who likes Stephen Piscotti? <laughs> but they are clearly Oakland A kind of players. And Tony Kemp, who plays second base and left field as well, I liked that outfield. I thought it was versatile. It was flexible. I really didn't see how Starling Marte was going to take this lineup over the top. Then I started to dig deeper in the numbers and he steals bases like crazy and like efficiently and he's fast and he, he slugs high percentages, which means he hits a lot of extra base hits uh, on, on the top of the lineup, which is invaluable. Um, but then you start to break it down and okay, well, Ramon Laureano's out now with a massive suspension. He fills a huge hole and he compliments this lineup, I think, better than Ramon Laureano ever could, even with his PEDs. So it turned out to be an incredible deal for the Oakland A's. I think the Oakland A's win this deal um, just for the sheer fact that I really have no idea what Jesus Lozardo is going to be. But again, you hit that nail on the head. The Miami Marlins have a track record over the last five seasons since Derek Cheater has taken over of developing young pitching. This organization has done a great job of it. And their top three in that rotation, I would put up against anybody's in the entire league right now. In G- in in um, Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara, and and Taylor Rogers. I love those pitchers. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows that I was strongly considering in a dynasty league keeping Sandy, my boy Sandy, over Luis Castillo. I, I went Castillo. It turned out to be the horribly wrong decision. But I traded for my boy Sandy back, so all is well in the world. Um, it's just fascinating how how good the Miami Marlins have become, and they're a team that's not winning right now. And so you're right; it doesn't matter what Luzardo does right now. But if he rediscovers who he truly is, then this is a win-win for both sides. Period. Now we got to move on because we don't have a lot of time left. But it, it's Blue Jay talk. Um, after a hundred. And 19 games. This team is 63 and 56. They're 10 and a half games out of the American League East. They are currently four and a half games out of the wild card behind now four teams in the Yankees, A's, Red Sox, and Mariners. The Red Sox have appeared to be in a free fall as well since the All-Star break. But before we we talk about them, I just don't know what to make of this Blue Jays team and what their identity is. But there have been so many positives, and I truly want to believe that this team is at least going to give me meaningful baseball come September. But 
as soon as they go on a run, it seems like they fall back and their pitching kind of implodes again. Where are you at with this Blue Jays roster? Are they not complete enough to make the playoffs this season? Or are they set up well for the future at least? Or like, I just don't know what their identity is right now. Where, where are you at with the Blue Jays? Could you shed some light on the Jays situation for, for me? And of course our loyal Jays fan listeners here who, who are equally as confused as I am. Yeah, it's uh there's no, there's no easy answer. They're definitely sort of in between, right? Which is, the spot you never want to be in. Um, but, uh, I mean, the offense is fantastic. Let's just take solace in that. Uh, and the offense will remain fantastic. And th- th- there's a way, like, if I want to be, you know, Johnny Optimism here, if you really break down different parts of the Jays sort of on an individual level, as opposed to sort of looking at the uh, cumulative accomplishment of this team or the sum of the parts, like, if you look at the Jays' just pure rotation with Robbie Ray, what he's doing uh, since getting Barrios, um, you could argue they have the best pure rotation in the division. Like, you could argue that based on the top three and based on the weakness of the American League East's uh, rotations, uh, considering that Tampa doesn't really have a rotation. They have the best pitching, but not really a rotation. Then you look at the bats, and the bats can hit with absolutely anyone. And you've got some versatility and some depth. Uh, at least when George Springer is healthy, but his injury certainly changes the complexion of the team a whole bunch uh, after winning back-to-back American League Players of the Week just a a couple of weeks ago here. Um, And then the bullpen, they've done a lot of uh, moves to try and shore up the bullpen. And has it worked so far? No, but you at least have a lot of pieces to tinker with and and toy with. And they just got rid of Dolis, uh, which is too bad because he was so dynamite last year. But uh, I think it was very much time to do that. So there's all these pieces like you can see from an optimistic perspective, everything coming together for this team and them making a run. But the time is ticking away. And it's so unfortunate that the Yankees have figured it out the way they have, because, I mean, they're they're one team, you know, not being in it sort of away from being right there. Like if the Yankees had kept scuffling or sort of stayed at the same level of the Jays, at least, and you were still chasing down a free falling Boston team. And, and Oakland, I feel like, is going to stay in one of those wild card spots. You could really see the path that if this Jays team was able to figure it out enough to make a, a run to a playoff spot, that they're going to be extremely dangerous just, you know, from the from the bats alone and by having the starting pitching. Like, they have the, the two most important parts, sort of, uh, you know, uh, and, and they're constructed very similarly to the Yankees in that the hitting is great. There's some pitching at the top, but the bullpen is suspect, and that's fine. You can... You can work around certain efficiencies like that in the playoffs when you sort of tighten up the rotation and you could move like a four or five starter, put a stripling in the bullpen, um, that kind of thing. But just looking at the reality, Joe, of the standings right now, I think that mathematically, like they could make a run, but it's extremely improbable at this point. So they're likely going to be in the worst position where you're that team who's knocking on the door to get in doesn't have you know a top half of the draft kind of draft pick uh but doesn't actually make the playoffs and you you just have to hope that some of the experience from this team and the happy-go-luckiness that we've seen in the the clubhouse and stuff uh keeps going and that it it keeps being an environment where uh the team really uh can maybe attract some some nice kind of peripheral pieces that people kind of see hey, maybe if it's not this year, then they're at least building to something that we want to be a part of. 
Um, and, and so overall, I guess what I'm driving at is I think a change in manager would go a long way towards putting this team over the top because the pieces are there. Uh, I don't think it's happening this year, but I think they could be awfully close to being a truly scary American League contender. Uh, but just, just with the math and how much time is left, I, I don't think it's going to be this year. Well, and that's where we're at. I think we're both at, at the same crossroads with this team because the frustration is there, especially with this fan base. It's palpable. I mean, it's just exhausting. I think this front office has done a wonderful job actually cultivating an offense that, to me, is top three in this league with my eyes closed. I don't even think it's a conversation I'm willing to have with anybody right now as far as the depth of the lineup, as far as the power-speed balance, as far as all of that, what they can do against both righties and lefties. I think it's a balanced lineup. So they've done a great job doing that. I think the frustration here lies with the fact that they can't seem to figure out pitching depth. And we came into the season knowing that the two holes in this team was starting rotation and the bullpen. And, you know, the, the, the very unpopular opinion of a lot of Blue Jays fans was, yeah, maybe they could afford to let Taiwan Walker leave. And we've, we've touched on Taiwan Walker. We obviously thought it was an overpay, but he's had mm. a fantastic season in New York and probably would have stayed in Toronto had they offered the same kind of deal. It appeared he liked it here. And his agent said he liked it here. Um, but that's fine. You chose to keep Robbie Ray over him. And my God, Robbie Ray, what what a resurgence in, in his career in a Blue Jay uniform. Yeah. Um, and that's great. The top half of the rotation has kind of treaded water in Ryu. And, and well, I mean, Robbie Ray has been this team's best starter, I think, period. Oh, yeah. But, but like... You know, Hyunjin Ryu has done what he's had to do to keep above water. 3-7 ERA. He's been more than effective. 100 strikers, 133 innings. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. Um, he keeps the ball relatively in the ballpark. 15 home runs in, uh, in 133 innings. So one home run every nine innings. That's not horrible. It's not mm -hmm. ideal. But for a 34-year-old finesse pitcher, that's not horrible. I'll take that any day of the week. Um and Jose Brios, his first two starts in the Blue Jay uniform were fantastic. His last two were uh, left a lot to be desired. But I think they they didn't do enough to to fill out those needs. I don't think you're good enough with Brad Hand and Joaquin Soria. It's just not good enough, especially for a bullpen that I think easily was bottom three in the league going into this trade deadline. And the answers were not sexy enough to me. If you're going for it, it, it circles back to this argument. The, the answers in the bullpen were not sexy enough to me. Having said all of this, I think they've done a great job setting themselves up for the future. If certain guys sign long-term, I think they're in great shape. But get what, get what you have to get done. Lock up Boba Shed and Vlad to long-term deals. And if Jose Barrios signs long-term in Toronto, then I think my sentiments toward the deal and the acquisition will change because at least they got a pitcher that's going to be one, two, or three in their rotation for the next four or five years out of that deal. Then I can at least swallow it. I can at least sell that to myself, and I think the Blue Jays 
can at least sell that to the fans. I'm not trading my top prospects for a year and a half of a guy unless I'm right there, which this team wasn't, right? It always circles back to the fact that they're behind four teams in the wild card race right now, which is bananas. Yeah. I mean, I thought that you put it very well in the first half that it's, you know, so frustrating when it, when a team sort of goes for it, but doesn't get all the way. Right. Like it's not like the comp I've gone back to a couple of times is David price in 2015. And when he came, you just knew he was a difference maker. Like, I think I was with you at a Buffalo Wild Wing, and I just couldn't wipe this grin off my face seeing him in a Jays uniform for the first time. I've never been, like, more excited, you know? It just felt like, wow, what a acquisition. This is a difference maker. This is a guy who will take our team from fringe contender to real contender. And he did. And he won all the time when he was on the mound. And Barrios yeah. is, like, nice, but he's not that. And and with Price, you knew it was highly, highly unlikely he was going to stay. And, and you gave up a couple of prospects in, in Norris, who was highly thought of at the time, and Boyd. And you were you knew he was going to walk almost definitely in the offseason. And it was still fine. But, like, I am totally with you. If they don't re-sign Barrios or if he isn't a giant difference maker for them next year and they're not contending, this trade could be an absolute unmitigated disaster because he's not good enough. I mean, this is what we've seen, whether the, the book's still out on him, right? But I think what we've seen already is he's not good enough to drag this team. It's hard for any starting pitcher to be, uh, but into to being a real contender for this year, uh, considering the competition that they have. It's kind of a sneaky, strong top part of the American League and really weak bottom half of the American League. There's quite a divide this year. There's very few teams in between. Um, so I think that... Uh, you got to look more ahead to next year. And I'm kind of grateful that they didn't, you know, give up tons of prospect capital to, to try and fix the bullpen. Cause that was never going to make the difference this year either. I don't think. And I mean, there's still time. This could all change, but, but right now it, it's all about next season. And I think that uh, how much money Rogers is willing to spend is also going to be a big factor. Cause you know, you assume you're going to get more health out of Springer, but you know, if Semyon leaves and Ray leaves, I mean, those are huge holes. Like, think of where this team would be without them. They'd be for sure uh, rebuilding and completely different without two guys who, who could very, very conceivably walk this year and who are going to demand huge tickets. So you'd have to, to spend a ton of money just to sort of stay with what you were doing in, in a lot of ways. And, and how much more can you expect of the Vladdy? Like, you can't really, right? And Bichette's had a good year. Like, where's this team going to make big improvements? Yeah. Like, where's the step forward going to be next year? That's kind of the alarm. On the mound, ideally, right? Yeah. On the mound is, is ideally the place. And, you know, if this team wants to win, they're going to have to start spending. That's the bottom line here. And start spending, meaning retaining your best young players, giving them their value, what they're worth. But, yeah, you're going to have to retain Simeon. And, and we talked about this three weeks before the deadline. I thought he was a prime candidate to be shipped out of here. Mm. Not because... It would be selling, but because maybe I could get that young arm to keep me going for the future. That didn't happen. I guess the front office thought if we acquire some good veteran relievers for cheap, and if we acquire a young starter that could be front of the rotation, that's all we need. And clearly that's not all they need. This team is not a playoff team right now, and I don't think they're making the playoffs. So no, here we are. Like This is this – is, where the Blue Jays are. This team's not making the playoffs this year. Fine. Let's let's look forward to let's look forward to future years. 
And that that's it, I guess. I mean, yeah. there's not much else to say about about the Blue Jays right now. Well, I mean, at this point, you, you don't want them to tank. Like, it's not like you want them to tank for a draft pick and you kind of cheer for them to fall out of it. Like, what we got to hope for as Jays fans is for the puncher's chance that, uh, you know, the Yankees or A's, you know, take an absolute tumble, that the Red Sox don't figure it out. Like, there is a chance somebody collapse and they make it in and then things get a whole bunch more interesting. But, yeah, you got to hope that a lot of the strides for next year are internal as well as retaining, you know, Array or Simeon. Like, you have to. You have to keep one of those guys, and ideally both. But you got to hope Nate Pearson is healthy next year, right? I mean, he was seen as a potential difference maker. you got to hope Alec Manoa is uh, just as good in his second time going through the league and that people don't figure him out. So you get those improvements internally. You have to hope that they just, you know, bullpens are such a crapshoot. And, you know, the 2020 Jays bullpen was a wonderful surprise that nobody saw coming. And then the 2021 Jays bullpen, where there was some expectations it would at least be above average based on the, the shortened season, uh, was a dumpster fire. So it seems like you roll the dice every year. So you got to hope that you roll a six on the bullpen next year and you get Nate Pearson and maybe another arm or two internally and you spend the money to retain some uh, of the impending free agents. And maybe you even add to this team a little bit because the window is is going to be you know wide open. You're, you're in the contention window next year. You could argue whether this year is like a little early or not, but I, I would argue it's sort of the beginning should have been this year and for sure next year. There are no excuses. There's no looking ahead. Next year is for sure the year. So yeah, I just, I just hope that the front office sees that and uh, – and we haven't really seen the Shepatkins front office go completely all in yet on a, on a season as much as they were kind of aggressive this last off season. So I hope that there's another level that they can kick it up to to really uh, have next year's Jays go all out for uh, for the playoffs. Well, they tried to do it with the 2017 Cleveland Indians, but again, financial restrictions could limit them to only a couple of acquisitions here and there, and it, like you know. What is really going far with the Cleveland Indians? So this is probably the first time they've ever been involved in something like this as well. And again, I understand that when you're bidding against six other teams for a pitcher, you're going to have to overpay to get it. But again, it circles back to, is this the guy that you want to bid against six other teams for? So Mm. we'll see. Like, again, I like Jose Barrios. I like him. I Do I love him? No. Do his statistics suggest we should love him? The 106 ERA plus and the career four ERA don't suggest that. So that's, I guess, where we'll leave it with this team. I think the frustrating thing is this bullpen's got worse. I think the manager does not know how to manage a bullpen as well. Yeah, um, But it's hard for me to blame the manager when he's been given a a steaming pile of crap for the first half of the season. Now he's just been giving a cold pile of crap crap for the second half. It it is what it is. Right. So I think that's where we're going to have to, we're going to have to leave it. But your your last thought. Yeah. My final thought is that this Jays team this year overall is a remarkable mix of fun and frustrating. Am I right? Like I don't quite remember a team like this where they, they're just like a joy to watch at times because the offense pops off. They're having a ton of fun. Vladdy is having a triple crown type of season, you know, a, a historic season if Shohei Otani wasn't doing what he was doing. 
Um, and so it's a ton of fun, but then the way they lose games, wildly frustrating. And sure, the criticism of Charlie Montoyo has calmed down a little bit because he's not making as obvious blunders as he used to, but I don't think he's a good manager still. So I would very much like for them to make a change in manager uh, and make a couple of uh, acquisitions in the offseason to to kind of change the image of this team going into next year. Like the, this roster is fun, but they're not a championship team right now. They're not. No. And, and you know what? We got to remember two years ago, they were a 90 loss team and now they've improved to being a 78 loss team this season so far. So there's been remarkable improvements under Montoya. So it's hard. It's so hard. You know, um, I don't think they will get rid of him, but I, I, I think they should. As do I. But again, it's hard to justify it. Playing devil's advocate, it's hard. Um, but that I think this has been uh, a great show. We're going to end on that note. I appreciate you as always, my my wonderful co-host, my partner in crime for five years in radio. <laughs> what a what a, what a wild ride it's been, um, and and we hope to continue it uh, over the coming years, at the very least, while I'm in school. Um, because I, I just love doing this too much. And, and, uh, producer Jake has been our, our, uh, uh, cowboy for, for six years, uh, on this podcast and, and, uh, wouldn't have it any other way, uh, with you gentlemen. We'll, we'll continue to give quality content to those of you listening. Uh, this is the best show I've ever been a part of. I can say with confidence, um, sorry, all my Guelph radio people and all my Ryerson radio people, but, this is the cream of the crop. Um, on that note, let's go Blue Jays, I think, is, is what I'm going to say to end this one. Thank you for uh, sponsoring our show, as always, the Bull Barbecue Pit uh, at Dufferin and St. Clair. You guys are the absolute best. Check out our friend Omar uh, and staff at the Bull on You Gotta Eat Here. With their Donka Donk sandwich, their famous mac and cheese, and their new homemade sangria, it's all absolutely delicious uh and toby's favorite the smoky onion dip we're gonna have to find a way to courier it over to him uh via fedex although they don't guarantee dairy <laughs> products rightfully so um as we as we talk about that thank you general tech auto for sponsoring our show at 1277 your road outside of yorkdale mall and the orcus outlets and our wonderful restaurant partners 255 by alta rosta restaurant um that's it for this week. We'll catch you on the flip side. Bye.